Well, uh, this morning we are joining 1,352 churches across America, which represents some 780,000 people involved in this same series called One Prayer. And we're asking the question, what does God want from the church today? What is God up to and how can we join Him in that? And we're also answering the question, what is my one prayer for the church. And it's pretty exciting to me to think about all these churches across America and a few other countries joining together, asking the same question at the same time. Because, you know, there is incredible power in focused energy. Now, I'm no scientist, but I understand there is a difference between a, the power of a laser beam and the power of a, a spotlight. Now, the laser beam has the power to actually cut through seals. Spotlight, on the other hand, gets really warm, but doesn't have much power beyond that. You know what the difference is? It's the difference of the way the photons react. And I'm no scientist, and I can't explain this in detail, but I understand that in a laser beam, the photons sort of communicate with each other, and they get organized, and they get very focused. They begin to sort of line up with each other and march together in unison, and that organization and focus of those photons provides power for that laser beam. Now, a spotlight has the same number of photons, but they're not organized and they're not focused. And thus the difference in their power. And my hope is that Christ followers with laser-like focus would combine and organize to move in the same direction trying to accomplish the same goals. After all, any church that teaches that the Bible is the absolute truth and that Jesus is Lord, no matter what the label on the door, has been called by God to accomplish the same purpose. God has called all of us to help people who are living far away from God find their way back to God. And it's exciting to think if we could focus our energy and together we could accomplish that goal. I like what Paul wrote in the New Testament when he wrote in one of his letters about our unity of purpose among the church. He said this, He said, we are all one body, talking about the church. We have the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we have all been called to the same glorious future, the the future of eternal life in heaven. And then he says, there is only one Lord and one faith and one baptism. There is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. Over the next three weeks, or in the three weeks that are coming, we're going to have the privilege to hear the prayer for the church of three great pastors, three great communicators from across our nation. And I know the things that they are going to share are going to challenge you and be encouraging to you. But today I want to kick this series off by sharing my one prayer for the church. And I would pray that God would make us passionate for reaching our community. As I read statistics over and over again about the church, more and more it is becoming true that the church is more and more marginalized, has less and less influence, and fewer and fewer people are saying that the church can really help them. And it makes me ask the question, where does power and influence come from? How do we once again have influence over our culture? Chuck Colson, an author, tells the story of a a national prayer gathering that was held in Washington, D.C., and all of the important people were there, all the powerful people, the president and the vice president and congressmen and judges and anybody who was anybody was there. 
He said, with all those people gathered in that room, do you know who had the most influence? He said it was a frail, elderly woman who didn't have any political power, didn't have financial resources, but when she stood to talk that day, everyone listened and she had influence. It was Mother Teresa. And she influenced them, not because of her political power, but because of her lifetime of serving people. That's what gave her credibility. Serving people is what gave her influence in that room on that day. And I think if the church wants to seem relevant again, if we want people to believe that we really can help them, then one of the most effective ways that that will happen is through our real and relevant serving in their lives. It will happen through honest and compassionate acts of service and reaching out to them. You see, to gain the opportunity to tell the truth about Jesus, we have to first be willing to show the truth about Jesus by serving people around us. It's the model that Jesus used. He served people. He met people's needs. And then people listened. It's the model that Crosspoint has followed since our beginning. And I'm proud to be part of a church that is growing a reputation of serving its community. I think we started out probably the first thing that we did was clean up after the football games, and that's a huge, huge thing for us. Um, and it's a time saver, a money saver. It, it, it's just a really a great thing. But as you well know, over the years we've ex- expanded far beyond that, and that that's maybe the hallmark of what uh, the relationship is, the beginning, the, the, the benchmark. But it uh, it doesn't scratch the surface of uh, the things that the people from your church have done. Uh, for, for Mariner High School, uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't begin to, to list them, but, you know, one of the most amazing things was um, that area behind the baseball field, which is always a pain, and those, uh, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, you all came in and chopped everything down and then hauled it off, and it was just wonderful, and then this year, we plan to have the... Uh, MHS up on the tanks, and I asked you, and then those guys came in and just did a fabulous job. I can't tell you how many man hours and time and effort, and how much better the place looks out. We've had cleanup days, and just so many wonderful things that people don't realize uh, really improves the school, the attitude, the people that come here once every so often don't get to really understand what goes into it and and your people have just been so fantastic.
And I want to say thank you for being people who love and serve our community. And I, I've been uh, just doing a lot of evaluating over the last uh, few months and thinking about things here at Crosspoint. And as I look back at our kind of our calendar, you know, in that very first year of our existence, I think we did a really good job of serving our community. And I look back and think we were we were just hands on doing a lot of stuff. But when I look at this last year, while we did some good things, I don't think we were as actively involved in serving our community as we had been in the past. And I, that's my fault. That is my leadership failure, not your fault. And so as I think about us and our church, my one prayer is that God would kind of renew that passion within all of us to be about loving and serving our community. Well, I want to dig into a passage in the Bible today that may seem a bit strange to you as a passage to look at to talk about serving our community. It's found in the book of Isaiah. And go ahead if you've got your Bible and uh, turn there. We're going to look at chapter 58 and we're going to study through about the first 11 verses of that chapter. And uh, it's right after Psalms and Proverbs. And if you get to Lamentations and Ezekiel, you've gone too far. Uh, so let's look at Isaiah chapter 58. Now listen to what the writer... This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet was simply a, a, a mouthpiece for God to speak to His people. So I want you to listen to what he says. God speaks and He says, uh, He's first kind of talking to Isaiah. He says to Isaiah, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. In other words, Isaiah, I want you to clearly and loudly communicate this message to my people in Israel. And here's God's message. He says, Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. God says they're guilty of some sin in their lives. I want you to declare it to them. For day after day they seek Me out. They seem eager to know My ways. And don't miss God's sarcasm in the next couple of verses. He says, if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. In other words, they may act like they've never done wrong, but we all know they have. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. We have fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. We have humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. And he asks a question, is this the only kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, I think the first thing that happens here is God is sort of pointing out the inadequacy of religious acts alone. God is saying, you know, you're going through all the motions. You're going through all the motions of doing religious things. You're acting religious, but, but, there's a problem. Now, let's back up just for a second and talk very briefly about this whole practice of fasting. If you're not familiar with that, it's a practice that's talked about in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for most cases, when the Bible talks about it, it was abstaining from food. Sometimes for usually a 24-hour period is what they did in the Old Testament. They wouldn't eat any food. They would often drink 
liquids, water, and it was kind of a cleansing for their body. But their primary purpose in fasting and the primary reason that God invites them to do it and invites us to do it is to kind of realign our relationship with Him. Now, specifically in the Old Testament, they would fast for a number of reasons. One, they would fast to ask for forgiveness of sins. Sometimes they would fast to ask for healing for a member of their family or a friend who was sick. Sometimes they would fast if they knew that their country was going into battle and they would ask for God's deliverance in that battle. Other times they would just fast as a way to to seek God's presence in their lives. Now, I don't think God is suggesting here that the act of fasting itself was wrong. I think that God was saying more than that. He wasn't saying that their desire to have God work in their lives was wrong. No, God was saying... He was letting them know that there was something else that was missing in their lives. That just going through the act of fasting or just going through the act of praying or just going through the act of bowing your head in humility before God without another component in their lives was inadequate. And I think God would say to us, I want you to read your Bible. I want you to to pray. I want you to be in church. I want you to be connected in relationship with other Christ followers. I want you to to fast. I want you to seek Me in your life. But those are inadequate if you leave out this other component in your lives. And here's what that other component is in verse 6. He says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? God says, It's not that other kind of fasting that you're doing, which kind of leave this component out. Here's the kind of fasting I'm talking about, God says. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So I think God says serving other people, serving our community is a godlike expression of faith. God says in addition to those other spiritual practices, again, not that those things were wrong and not that those things should be left out, but in addition to those other spiritual practices like fasting and praying, there is this other component that ought to be included. Here's what pleases me. Here's what honors me. It's when you serve other people, when you love other people. You see, we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving. I think nearly everybody has some recollection of the story of Jesus washing His disciples' feet. Even people who don't go to church a lot, somewhere even in our culture, have heard references to the washing of feet. We've talked about it many times here because it is such a prevalent story in terms of understanding Jesus' attitude towards people. You you may know the story. Jesus was dining with His disciples one night. And when they had arrived that night, nobody had taken on the duty of washing feet. So after dinner, Jesus gets up and gets a towel and a bucket of water and He begins to wash their feet. A very humble act of serving. And when He had finished, Jesus said this to His followers. And I think He would say these words to us as well. He says, You address Me as teacher and master. And rightly so. That's what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. And my prayer is that we would be like Jesus. 
by serving the people in our community. By caring about them and loving them. That's why we did uh, just a few weeks ago the Love Your Neighbor Day. When we had that Saturday where we said to you, you know what, just do something to show kindness and love to somebody who lives close by. I'm kind of curious. I wonder how many of you took advantage of that and did something that Saturday or sometime that week to serve your neighbor. Some of you? A few of you? Good. Yeah, we did too. We baked some cookies. Well, we didn't bake cookies. My wife baked cookies. I carried them to a neighbor. You know, and that whole purpose was just a way for us to say to people around us, we we care about you. We have a number of things that we're going to be doing later this summer and into the fall to kind of reignite our passion for serving the community and being like Jesus. I think this whole thing with angel food, one of the reasons that we're involved in that is because it's an opportunity for us to serve our community. And yes, some of us who are financially struggling, it's a great opportunity for us. And I'm glad for that. But beyond that, it's a great opportunity for us to communicate with people that we know who are struggling and say, hey, here's a way. Our church is doing this thing through this ministry called Angel Food. You could be part of it. Maybe some of you could take 30 bucks and you could buy a box of groceries for somebody and take it to them as a way to say, hey, I just wanted you to know I care about you. And when the fall rolls around, we're going to you know, pick up trash again at Mariner. We've picked up tons of trash after football games, but we keep communicating. We care about you by doing that. We're going to pass out water bottles this summer and I think ice cream later on and just a number of things, a summer of service to try to say to people in our community, we want to serve you because that's when we're like Jesus. Now there's another thing that I think that we need to be doing. And that is we need to be praying for our community. In fact, as I was thinking about this message and studying this week, it's probably the thing that I was most convicted of. That not only do we need to serve our community, but probably first and foremost, we need to pray for our community. And so beginning this Tuesday, I've decided every Tuesday that I'm in town, I'm going to be in the office at 7 a.m. just to pray for a little while for our community. And I want to invite any of you that want to come to come and join me. There's no agenda. We're not going to sit around and talk a whole bunch. We're just going to pray for our community. And the weeks that I'm not here, somebody else on our staff is going to be there. But every Tuesday, we're going to pray for our community. Now, if we're honest this morning, some of you, you hear me talk about serving our community. And if you're gut level honest, there's a part of you that goes, I don't want to do that. In fact, I'm not really sure I even love the people in our community. Now, I know we've never said that out loud, but for some of us, deep down in our hearts, there is a part of us that fills that thing. And if there's a tinge of that in your life, then maybe you need to join me on Tuesdays. And the first thing that we need to do is to repent of that and ask God to fill us with a love for the people of this community. And if you already love the people, then come and join me and let's ask God, God, how would you have me serve the people around me? Would you open my eyes to what you're already doing in our community and ways that I could join you, God, in serving people? Well, listen to what God says beginning in verse 8. He says, When you begin to fast like this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then, He says, then 
Your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I think God is saying when we serve other people, when we serve our community, it increases our impact. You see, ultimately our mission is to connect people with Jesus. But people in our world often are not willing to listen to us tell the good news about Jesus until they have seen us demonstrate that good news by good deeds. I like what Dave Workman, who's the pastor of the Vineyard Church in Cincinnati, writes. He says, it takes between 12 and 20 positive bumps, the idea of refreshing encounters with the church or with Christ followers, before people come to Christ. Their hearts have to be opened up by these refreshing encounters. And when we begin to serve our community, it creates opportunities for us to allow people to have those kinds of refreshing encounters with people who are Christ followers that begins to open their hearts and allows them to hear the good news. You know, it's not enough just to stand on the corner and tell people about Jesus. And it, it is incomplete to serve people and never mention that we're doing it because Jesus cares. Because you see, good deeds and good news are like two wings of an airplane. You can't have one without the other. And they complement each other. And we need to make sure that we are paving the way for the good news to be told by doing good deeds in people's lives. That's what Jesus did when He sent out His followers in Luke chapter 9. He sent some of His followers out and He said, I want you to go and tell the story of Jesus and I want you to heal the sick. In other words, I want you to do good deeds and those good deeds will pave the way for the good news that you have to share. We want people in our community who are living far from God to find their way back. And I am convinced today that their journey back to God begins with our act of serving them. You know what? The goal when we started two years ago was not just to start a church in Cape Coral. The goal was to come and to serve our city, to serve our community with love. No strings attached. I want you to notice also in this passage, God says that when we begin to serve others, there is another kind of impact. Listen to verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You will be and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I think God is saying here that when we serve other people, when we serve our community, it makes us healthy. It has an impact and an influence in our lives. You know what, by nature, if we're honest, a lot of us are kind of selfish at times and can be inwardly focused. I mean, we, we just are at times. But when we begin to, to serve others, God begins to change our focus. You know, the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas has a happy ending. Why? Because the Grinch suddenly experiences his, his heart growing by three sizes. And he is suddenly compassionate and has love towards other people. And in our lives, God wants to grow our hearts. He wants to grow our compassion. He wants to, to change us from the inside out. And as He begins to change us and grow our hearts, we will experience joy and fulfillment as we serve other people. You know what? Some of us might be Grinches by nature if we're honest, pretty inwardly focused at times. 
But if we'll let Him, God really does want to change our hearts. He wants to grow them. And He wants to use us to serve other people. Mike Hayes, back in 1987, decided he wanted to attend the University of Illinois. But he struggled, like a lot of college students, with how am I going to pay for this? So he had this idea. He wrote a letter to Bob Green, who was a uh, columnist for the Chicago Tribune. And he asked Bob to publish his letter. Bob read his idea and thought, that's a clever idea, and he published it. And here's what Mike had written. Mike had written and asked if the readers of this guy's column would each just send him one penny. Just one penny. Bob thought that was a great idea, so he published the letter and the pennies began to pour in. Just one at a time, attached the letters. Until Mike had collected 2.3 million pennies. Just one at a time. Now, some people sent in nickels and quarters and checks. When it was all said and done, Mike had collected $28,000 for his schooling at the University of Illinois. And back in 1987, that probably paid for all four years, not just the first year. You know what? There is not one act that I'm going to do that will just instantly change our community. But if every one of us would begin to do small acts of kindness, would begin to have an attitude of serving people, those one that one small act at a time grows into many acts, and before long, it begins to pile up, and all of us are serving, and we can change our community. But it will happen one act of serving at a time. Would you pray with me? God, would You use us to serve our community? God, my one prayer for us as a church and really for all churches is that You would make us passionate for serving the people around us. And God, that as we serve, You'd give us influence in their lives and the privilege of telling them the story of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.